Welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Uh, yes, it's true. I know it was only a week ago that we uh, we came on the air with this little tete-a-tete, but here we are. We're back again. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm Nate Larkin here with uh, Aaron Porter. We're exploiting the power of the internet. So even though we are thousands of miles apart, we are together this morning. Uh, and we got a great, great guest coming up. Uh, it's early morning. We've changed recording times today to, to accommodate our guest. So uh, there is light, sunlight uh, peeking through the windows of your shed there, Aaron? Just, just starting. Just starting yeah. to get a little sunlight. And the mice have stopped scurrying, which means it must be uh, they scurry most before the sun comes up when I come in here. So the sun must be up. Haven't seen them scurry since we began the show. Okay. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah. And, uh, and they're illuminating what looks to me like a forest of skateboard decks behind you. Oh, see, that's, that's, my, that's my art collection. Okay. I grew up as a mid '80s skater kid. I was never a great skateboarder, but I I loved skate culture back then with the Bones Brigade and all the skulls and things like that. So yeah, when I got older, uh, over the years, there there are those eight decks that represent about ten years of waiting until I find one of my childhood decks and. Uh, grabbing it so it's a it's a poor man's art collection so someday we'll have to get a, the the blank expression on your face says this this does not touch your passion but <laughs> no. have a guest that uh is is my age and knows what search for animal chin is and i will i will show every one of those decks what in the world? Search for animal chin? Yep. Not going to explain until we have a guest who cares. Okay. Not going to have right. it. Then we All will right. educate you. But the walls in here are not strong enough to actually support the skateboards because I just put like skin over the insulation. Uh-huh. So those were in the garage. They were in one of my son's rooms for a while, but then they're in the garage. I was in there. I'm like, this is just sad. This is my art collection. I'll just lean it against all the walls and just enjoy seeing them in the background of this video. All right. Well, there they are. Uh, I, I must confess uh, that skateboards mean two things to me, skin, knees, and bruised elbows. And that's it. Of course, uh, I was a child back in the primitive days when yeah. skateboards right. were, you know, a, a, a roller skate nailed to the yeah. bottom of a two-by-four. What, yeah. clay, clay wheels or something like that? You're just... Uh, you're steel waiting. wheels. Steel. Yeah. You're just waiting to hit a piece of gravel and end up on your face. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 All yeah. right. That's it. I'm. I am going to find. There are some amazing '80s skate icons who found Jesus, and I'm going to get one of them on this show. It's got to happen. Okay. Uh, and then we will infuse you with the passion and beauty of that time and era. But and you know what? Next time. Next time you come to uh, Nashville. Uh, I need to take you to Rocket Town, uh, where they've got it. Where they've got a skateboard, uh, skate park, indoor skate park. So that's still that's going on. I remember when uh, we made the song and all Michael W. Smith. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Oh no, no, they're still rocking and rolling there. In fact, I spoke last week at a conference that I spoke. Uh, 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 I speak at every every year called the Objective. About seven hundred independent artists come to spend uh, three days with uh, 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 Ted and the guys uh, getting inspiration and instruction on how uh, on music is ministry. Yeah. So, uh, so I checked out rocket town while I was there. It's surrounded now by a rising forest of skyscrapers as the skyline of Nashville continues to change week by week. Uh, but there it is. Yeah. So we'll have to do that. Um, well, if, if Caleb is with me, I'm sure he will love to, uh, to ride something. The last time I was at a skate park with a bunch of high schoolers, I ended up breaking my ankle after uh-huh. Jenny made me promise not to skateboard. Mm-hmm. But I did call her and said, hey, there's this kid that feels really out of place. I'm going to go grab a board and skate with him. But I'm, I, he's not very good, so we're not going to do anything risky. And then I went off about a two-inch curb 
Yeah. The skateboard I borrowed had no tail, so my back foot slipped off, sat down on my heel, and my foot just spun under my body. Yeah, yeah. And uh, then I didn't skateboard. Yeah. yeah. Welcome, welcome to middle age. <laughs> I, was, I think I was still in my 20s at that point. Uh, I just knew it wasn't the same. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Aaron, we've got a great guest coming up. Um, and uh, before we get to him, because I'm sure our listeners are going to pick up a theme in what he has to say. Uh, it reminded me of an old song of yours. Uh, you don't play much of your music on this show. Uh, very, very rarely do we get to hear an Aaron Porter original. Uh, but do you remember the one Life, Liberty, and Pursuit? I do. That yeah. is, It is being revived and is actually going to be the title track of an album that I may get around to finish recording someday. Hey, can you dig that up and uh, maybe play it for us at the break and then i, I want to read the uh yeah, let me go ahead and uh I, because i've got the lyrics here let me uh let me read the lyrics to this i've been wondering how long i can live between two kinds of freedom one i gain the world and all my dreams or one that claims my everything i've been laying down rights taken up that keep me deaf to your heartbeat. Been letting go so I can stop this striving that leads me nowhere so I can worship. Life and liberty pursuing me intoxicate intentions. Blind I cannot see these gifts are thieves and I am taking back everything. I've been hoping I would find you where affections are reflections of Eden's heart. Got nothing left. That's just enough for liberty. Can you play that song for us, Aaron? I will. And after the break, we'll see how that relates to our guest, I suppose. (laughs) (laughs) We will be right back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. I've been Yeah. 
Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast, and we have uh, with us today a guest who I think is going to become everybody's favorite truck driver, uh, an unlikely freight handler, a man with uh, a fascinating story. I've heard it said that humility is inevitable, but humiliation is optional. We can fall on the rock, or the rock can fall on us, and uh, as awful as the second of those possibilities seems. The, the prospect just seems unthinkable that the rock should ever fall on us, that our precious plans should be pulverized. God shows his grace even there, and there's probably nobody uh, who uh, knows that truth more deeply than Chad Bird. Hi, Chad. Hey, good morning. How are you? Uh, oh, great. So uh, we're recording this uh, fairly early in the morning because you're a working man. You've got a you got a job to get to later in the day. Yeah, I got I got a I got a truck waiting on me <laughs> and a lot and a lot of customers. So I guess <laughs> they, they might be disappointed okay. if I didn't show up. So yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on this uh, this early. Uh, this is just awesome. I, um, now, uh, what I'd like to do is to start out. Uh, by the way, Chad is the author of a great book, a great little book that I highly recommend called Night Driving. Notes from a Prodigal Soul. Uh, Chad's not your typical um, truck driver. And, I, and I, uh, from what I gather, that wasn't your original vocational goal. No, no. Any, <laughs> any, anything but that, actually. Uh, yeah, I, uh, just to kind of tell you a little bit about, about my story, I, uh, I, I went to uh, went to college and went to uh, went went to seminary uh, with the goal of becoming a, a pastor. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I was in my my early twenties. I just went right out of high school, right into college, and straight to seminary. And when I was at seminary, um, something uh, was uh, was some desire began within me, which just grew and grew. Uh, I I was just I was fascinated by the prospect of being able to do what my professors did for me. I mean, they, they created in me a love of theology, a love for the church, a love for preaching and teaching, all of this wonderful stuff. And, and so the longer that I was at seminary, the more that I thought that really what I wanted to do was actually to become a professor myself. That became my, my aspiration, my passion, everything that I, that I wanted for, for myself, for my future. Uh, so I, after I left the seminary, I went into uh, I went to into a, a congregation, served as their pastor for about uh, four and a half or five years, and then uh, lo and behold, I, I I get a call from from the seminary that that I'd attended, and they wanted me to come back. They uh, wanted me to serve as a as a professor of Hebrew and Old Testament. Uh, so everything that I'd wanted, everything that I dreamed of, basically fell fell into my lap. Uh, so. I, I I began my and you're 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 married by this time, Chad. I'm married, uh, and I have two two young children at this time. Mm-hmm. So uh, really, looking back at that point in my life, and this is around I'm about uh, 31 at mm. this time. Wow, seminary. That's very young to be a professor. Very young. Yeah, I, I think that I was I was the youngest professor that they had ever ever hired at the seminary. Uh, so I, I get to that point in my life. So I'm, I'm married. I have these two beautiful children, a son and a daughter. Uh, I, I'm entering into the career, into the job that was really a, the dream job. I mean, that, that there's nothing else I wanted but to do that. So it, it was one of those situations where uh, everything came together in a way that, that I could not have designed any, any better than it did. Uh, so I, I begin this dream job. And as I do, what, what begins to happen is, is a remarkable transformation within me, which I was completely ignorant of at the time. This is only in retrospect that I see this. But 
basically what happened is when, when I got to the seminary, I, I thought myself unworthy of this position. Mm. I, I thought it was such a, a high and a holy calling that I, I felt completely unworthy of it. Uh, but what happened over time is the longer I was there, the more uh, I, I relished the praise that I would get from, from students. I, I relished the attention that I would get because I was asked to write this article or contribute to this book or speak at this conference or speak at this big event at a congregation. And I, I began to get some book contracts with our, with our church's publishing house. And so all these opportunities started, started opening up for me. And, and as they did, what also began opening up was this growing pride within me. Mm. And this pride gave birth to a whole lot of other things as well. Uh, this sense of, of selfishness, of, of deserving whatever, whatever I wanted. And eventually all of this also mushroomed into, into lust mm. and I began uh, this very quote-unquote innocent flirtation with uh, with a married woman, which uh, led to more flirtation, which eventually led to adultery. And so I was I was I was here as a as a pastor. I was a husband. I was a professor. I was a father. Had all these things going on, and and then this this hidden dark side of my life in which I was engaging in a, in, in adultery. Mm. Now, as always happens, uh, these things cannot, cannot remain hidden. They always come to the, to, into the light. And so, it, so it did for me. And when it did, uh, everything, everything exploded. Uh, my life imploded. Uh, my, eventually my, my wife left me. We separated and later divorced. Um, I resigned from the seminary, I was asked to resign from the clergy roster of my of my church body. Uh, all of my speaking engagements, all my book contracts, everything related to my professional life was was canceled. And so, everything by which I had identified myself, by which I had I had instilled a self worth within me, all of that was stripped away. And so, I was left. Uh, as I, as I talk about not driving, I was left just kind of sitting among the, the, the shattered remains of my life and wondering what I was going to do now, who I was, uh, where God was, just a host of questions uh, to which I had no, no definite answers. And so that, that is when I entered into, uh, almost a whole decade of darkness, mm. uh, of rebellion against God, of uh, just outright hatred of God many times. This strange kind of hatred of God and also a desire to reconnect with him. Uh, this almost a schizophrenic kind of, kind of spirituality where I didn't really know what I wanted. I don't want to punch God in the face. So I don't want him to embrace me. I didn't really know half the time. Mm. Uh, what, what was so that that was that was the entering into that 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 dark phase of my real life. quick what what was the anchor for the anger towards God? I think a lot of it was simply anger toward myself that I was not willing to embrace, and so I directed it outward to him, basically instead of accepting responsibility for my actions i was was uh, I'm a professional athlete in the blame game. I was uh, blaming everybody else. It was my, my wife's fault. It was the situation's fault. It was the other woman's fault. It was God's fault. It was, you know, other people mm -hmm. that had hurt me along the way. It was their fault. So it was this outward projection of my inward guilt that I wasn't, wasn't ready and willing to, to embrace because to look, to look into the, into the darkness of myself and, and to, to really, uh, to acknowledge, to confess what I had done, that seemed so, so incredible, uh, so frightening that I wouldn't do it at the time. So it was the same pride that had taken on a different form. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, because really, it didn't matter if it was in that stage of my life, the dark phase of my life, or when my dreams are coming true uh, stage of my life. It was, it was all about me. <laughs> was, yeah, which is, which of course is the struggle that we all have, no matter where we're at, mm -hmm. uh, this, it's kind of 
curved in on oneself uh, that, we, that we all suffer from. So yeah, it was either way I placed myself at the center either before or after. So uh, just a, a different way of different way of going about rebellion. Mm-hmm. What attempts did you, did you make to kind of put a life together after that? I made one in the midst of all this string of terrible decisions. I made one good decision. Mm. I was, I had moved my, well, let me back up a little bit. My, uh, the mother of my children had moved from Indiana where we had been living back to Texas to live with their family. And, uh, I moved much closer to the Oklahoma city area. My, my initial idea was to maybe get a job teaching at one of the colleges there and finish my PhD, which I had been working on. Uh, but I'd be four hours from my children. And, and I tried that for six months and I realized there was no other way this was going to work. I, I needed to be where they were for myself as well as for them. So the good, one good decision I made was giving up on any dream about becoming a, a professor again. And instead I, I got my commercial driver's license I moved to the small town where my children were living and I got a job driving a truck in the oil field. That way I could live where my kids were. I could, I could, I could provide for them. I could be faithful in paying child support. I could be part of their life. So that was the one, the one good decision I made in the midst of everything else going on. So that was, that was at least a tiny step in the right direction mm. of being uh, a father to, to my two children uh, in, in the midst of, all the other mess, all the other mess going on. Mm-hmm. So, uh, imagine driving truck gave you a lot of, uh, time for reflection. <laughs> yeah, it did. It, it often felt like it was too much <laughs> time mm-hmm. for to when a reflection. Nate, when Nate told me you were coming on and gave me the basic story, I thought that has got to be the worst situation for a guy like processing his uh, brokenness. So yeah, it was a truck. It was not a good, not a good idea, especially on the, I, I ended up uh, in the, on the night shift too. That's where I get the, the title of the book from night driving. So I'm out there and this is the height of the, the oil boom at the, at that time. And so I'm, I'm working 12, sometimes 14 hours a day, uh, mostly, mostly at night. I'm out there by myself, stuck in the cab of the truck and wrestling with my, with my demons <laughs> it was to, to cut oneself off from everybody else, uh, is not, is not the right and healthy thing to do in that situation, but that's where I was. So yeah, hour upon hour upon hour, I, I, went back over all the things I'd done, uh, rehearsed everything again. I had a, a million imaginary arguments with people. And uh, in the midst of all that going on, too, I, I argued, with, argued with God and uh, tried to make some sense out of where to go from here uh, in relationship to him. Mm. Now, what was your what was your faith like at this point? You had gone from being a, uh, a zealous teacher of all of these theological beliefs, and now you're stuck still believing them, but that also was probably difficult and struggling with your emotions toward God. How did how did all that fit together? Not very well. <laughs> Not very well. Yeah, yeah, I mean, so. I had, uh, I had so many different things going on inside of me, the, the anger, the shame, uh, the regret, the, the loneliness, the fear, uh, and mixed in with all that w- was still faith. Um, I, I can remember oftentimes praying uh, this, at, at, at this point now, and looking back on it, it seems so ridiculous, but it was, it, was, it was the prayer that I prayed many times. I prayed that God would make me right with him and then take my life. Mm. It was like I, I was so afraid of something happening to me and dying apart from him, but I wanted to be, I wanted to have a, a relationship with him again. So, but I didn't have any real hope for the future either. I mean, I, I saw really no hope for any kind of happiness in the future. So I would pray, just God, just make me right with you, and then, and then take me home to you. Just yeah. end it. Uh, was there any point where you were? saying, I don't think I believe what I used to believe, or was that not even possible for you because it was too deeply set? I think what, 
what began to happen was a uh, was was a change in. And this is a long process. This was an overnight or weeks or months. This is years. But what began to happen is a long change, long time change over how I began to to think about my relationship with God, in, in, especially in terms of in terms of grace. Mm-hmm. I had I had preached grace and talked talked grace, uh, but I don't <laughs> think that I really got it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, you know, there there was always this element. Of uh, of kind of this 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 churchly righteousness that because I'm a pastor because I'm a professor because I'm all these churchly things that I'm a little bit closer to God than than other people who aren't. So, it's, so not, it's not that Jesus didn't pay for you; you were just a discount. You cost a lot less <laughs> yeah, than all the other people. Exactly right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's a great way to put it. Yeah, I was I, re, I was reduced rate. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't have, I mean, I didn't have quite as much sin as other people did, right? He didn't mm-hmm. have to pay for quite as much. So all of that kind of self-righteousness uh, came, uh, uh, you know, came shattering to nothing because I had, I had nothing, nothing uh, to offer God. And it, and it was then that I began to realize that I, I never had anything to offer him to begin with. It was all gift from the very beginning. Mm. So uh, mm. I, it wasn't wasn't as if uh, I had less sin to forgive than somebody else, or I had more righteousness to offer than anybody else. I had zero righteousness, and any righteousness that I thought I had was, like Isaiah says, nothing but filthy rags. So all I have, uh, Luther says somewhere, what do we contribute to our salvation? Sin and resistance. That's what. We <laughs> <laughs> so, I made my contribution: a lot of sin, a lot of resistance. Yeah. And, uh, and, and God responded with, uh, with his contribution by doing everything for me. Uh, no Jesus and, but just Jesus. He was, he was sufficient. Now, I, I, I came to realize that over uh, and to believe that over a very long period of time. And, of course, it's, it's, still, it's, it's still something that I, that I struggle to believe because it, it's so incredibly good that it almost seems too, too good to be true. But that is, that's the essence of the gospel. It yes. is such a good truth. But it's uh, that it does seem too good to be too good to be true. So was Thank that a, was that a moment when that that grace came in, or was it? Did you find yourself there and not even realize you had been on the path to get there over time? Yeah, I, I, it is. It's sort of a both and. I, I can pinpoint one particular one particular night where I, I started to see a little bit of light in the midst of this darkness. Um, I was I was I was at work. It had rained. It was it was a real nasty night, and the place that I was driving was mainly dirt road. So I'd gone down into a deep place to to draw some water out of a gas well, and I was heading back, uh, trying to head back to our yard. I was going up a steep hill, and I got stuck in the mud. And when you get stuck in the mud, the oil field out in the middle of nowhere, all you're going to do is wait for them to bring a dozer to pull you out, and that might take hours. So I'm sitting there, stuck in the mud middle of the night, and I did keep a copy of the Psalms in the truck cab with me. So I pulled out the Psalms that night and almost just forced myself to begin to pray through some of these. And what began to happen is, is as I prayed through Psalm after Psalm after Psalm, it was as if I finally got what the Psalms were all about, that it wasn't just my voice that was praying in these Psalms. It was the voice of Jesus praying in these Psalms with me. Mm. That as I, as I, as I aired my pain and my grief and the, and the depth of my bitterness and, and hatred of self and desire to believe in all of these things that the Psalms give expression to, it was like I could hear the voice of Jesus praying in and alongside me. And it was then that I began to understand that, that I, I wasn't alone, that he was there with me in the darkness, abiding with me and promising me that the darkness will not remain forever, that the, that dawn will, will come. Mm. So that was a, that was a moment that I can point to where I began to, to truly see that I wasn't alone, that there was hope that this night of suffering would finally come to come to an end. Mm. Well, uh, Chad, let me ask you, uh, kind of a reaction to this. I'm not 
clear, and we probably don't need to say for purposes of the show, what uh, theological tradition you served in. Uh, I recently heard a preacher from the platform at his church say this. When you sin, it makes God sad, and he goes away. But uh, if okay. you... Re- what's, what's this it, person's number? I don't even need to hear the rest. <laughs> I punch this person in the throat. But, but, <laughs> but when you repent, he comes back. It's, uh, I'll tell you what, that is... Uh, uh, although it probably was never stated that baldly, or maybe it was, that certainly was my impression of God growing up, and that had to be burned out of me. How about you? How, what's your reaction to that, and, and, and how does that mesh with your experience? Yeah, yeah I don't think I've ever heard uh, heard such a, uh, uh, a belief explicitly stated like that, but I think it's implicitly held by uh, by a whole lot of people. In fact, I think that's typically the way that we, that we think, right? Yeah. We need to, we need to come back to God. We need to, in some way, kind of convince him to forgive us because we've made him angry or sad or whatever it might be. So we need to pursue him in order that he might forgive forgive us we can't we can't even make it through the song jesus loves me without making sure there's a verse jesus loves me when i'm bad but just know it makes him very wonder there it is these beliefs come on yeah i know it i know it yeah it's, it's everywhere it's everywhere and it, it's it's amazing how much our our natural ungodly theology works its way into the church sometimes uh this this idea that uh we have to do something, whatever it might be, to make sure that we keep God on our side. Uh, we're, I mean, it, it, is, it is the complete opposite. And that had to be burned out of me as well. I was raised in a tradition that was, was, was very much in tune with that kind of, of uh, my contribution to salvation kind of, mm-hmm. kind of mentality. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it, was, it, was, it was coming to the point where uh, I was dead uh, where there was nothing I could do, I was completely broken, and in seeing that God did all the work of of bringing me back, quite joyfully, it wasn't like He did this with someone twisting His arm behind His back. He He joyfully went in search of me. He joyfully put me on His shoulders, and He joyfully carried me back home. And there was there was never a moment when there wasn't a smile on His face, because I'm I'm not the object of His anger. I'm the I'm the the beneficiary of His love. And so he, he, in love, he searches me out and love, he carries me home and love. He does this. He does this for all of us. So it's not as if God is some kind of fickle lover who runs away every time that we mess up. He's the kind of God who never stops loving, never stops pursuing us and bringing us back to him, back to himself. Uh, He's the, it's, it's like in the parable of the prodigal son, right? As soon as the father sees the son, he takes off. And when he gets out there, he doesn't begin to, uh, uh, to read him the right act for what he's done. He throws his arms around him. He kisses him and he says, let's start the party because my son who was dead is alive again. That's, that's the kind of God we have. I want to, this is not going to take the form of a question. I just want your thoughts from the story you just told. Uh, been thinking about Paul recently. Paul's early life, well, Paul's whole life is marked by his pride and God helping him. As Nate said, you can choose humiliate. You can, can't, whatever you said, that what you said relates to this. So lots of pride goes in pursuit. Uh, You know, sometimes I forget that he betrays his own teacher, Gamaliel, who says, don't touch Christians like God, deal with it. And he's like, screw that teacher. I'm going to go do the opposite. So then he goes and does the opposite, meets Jesus, road to Damascus, spends three years in the desert, getting this revelation of the gospel, then immediately comes back to Damascus, where scripture says he was confounded and uh, debated in Damascus, the fruit of which was everyone just wanted to kill him and he has to be snuck out. He goes to Jerusalem where it says he argued against the Hellenists. So he's debating there, which then they want to kill him. 
Then the disciples send him back to Tarsus, back home, where he was supposed to come back super rabbi, and now he just comes back, what, I don't know what, a failure of a Jew, a failure of an evangelist. But the, the big part to me is that he just disappears for eight to ten years. Like it's not, Paul's beginning did not start with victory. What did he do? I don't know. Uh, probably there was some tent making, some truck driving over those 10 years. And then we get Barnabas picking him up to take him to Antioch and then start his first missionary journey. So like 13 years, but that 10 years seemed to be necessary for him to not be the confounder and debater and ivory tower guy, but become something else. So no question, go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why? Well, I feel a lot better knowing that Paul was a slow learner like, <laughs> like I am. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah I, the best teacher, the best school of theology is not a seminary. It's, uh, it's, it's the cross, whatever form that cross might take. It's bearing the cross. Uh, whatever it was for Paul, uh, Paul, Paul learned in that, in, that, in that classroom of suffering what God wanted what God wanted for him. And I think that, uh, that each of us who've been through our own trial of fire have, have learned just how much God is teaching us in the midst of that, uh, midst of that suffering. And what he really, what he's ultimately teaching us is that, that it's all about, it's all about our, our death and resurrection in Christ, our conformity to him that matters, because that is all that we have to, to offer to people. We don't have well-refined arguments. We don't have uh, debating skills that can wow an audience and win converts. Well, all we have is Jesus. Mm. And if, if that's what we're, if that's who we are conformed to, and if that's all that's in our mouth as we speak, then God is able to, able to use us. And maybe that's what Paul needed to hear. That's certainly what I needed to hear. I may have talked about Jesus, but I don't know that I talked Jesus so I, this, this idea of talking about and this idea of actually giving Jesus. And I needed to, I needed to learn how much that, that I needed him before I was, was ready to realize that that is all that I have to offer to others as well. So what did you learn in the truck that you never could have learned in seminary when you were being prepared to just talk at people and not grind out a paycheck every two weeks at a time? I think I learned most of all that I needed to die, uh, that, that it's, it's, it's only in, you don't get to Easter apart from Good Friday and you don't get to new life apart from death. Uh, God, Luther says that uh, God, everything that belongs to God must be crucified no matter what it is. And I needed, to, I needed a, a crucifixion. I needed to die to all of these selfish aspirations, die to this idea of an ivory tower kind of spirituality needed to die to, to everything that I thought was good apart from Jesus so that I could rise in him and realize that he is our only good. He's our only hope. And I, I never learned that in the seminary because you can't learn these things apart from suffering and death. They're just, if, if everything is going well for you, if, if you're just kind of walking in, in light, you're not gonna. You're not gonna. You're not gonna realize this. It's only when you are pushed down in the darkness that these things become become real, and you see how much how much it all hangs upon Christ and Christ alone. I deeply believe what you're saying, but I'm adding a but because sure. Nate started with you can either fall on the rock or the rock can fall on you, and you said you have to learn this through suffering and death. And yet I'm pretty sure every group prayer in church this week will be concerning God, please let people out of suffering. <laughs> so how do we reconcile choosing the hard path? How do you fall on the rock? Well, I, I don't think it's up to us. I think that'll be something that God himself uh, orchestrates. So the rock always falls on <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. We don't, we don't choose our crosses. Uh, God always chooses them for us. Uh, because if we did, we'd always choose the wrong one. 
you know, if we were mm. if we were if we were uh, masochistic, we'd choose a real heavy cross for ourselves, or if we just you know kind of like to skip our way through life, we'd choose a light cross. But God knows what we need, and so He's gonna He's gonna nail us to whatever cross He wants us to He wants us to bear. Uh, but they all have the same purpose that we're buried, we're crucified and buried with him, raised with him in order that our life might be hidden with Christ in God, in order that we might see ourselves in him and in him alone. I mean, that, that's really, that, that for me is the essence of the Christian life. It is, to, it is to know that in the Father's eyes, we look just like Jesus. To believe that and to, and to live that is, the, is really what, is what our life here is all about. So your dreams had to die, but now that you've gone through those dark and hard years, is God giving you back some of the dreams in a new way? Yeah, in a in, in a very new way. Uh, I, I'm married. I'm married now. A very uh, beautiful, wonderful woman that He's given to me. We we celebrated five years just this past uh, this past Wednesday, and uh, He has restored my uh, my joy. Uh, he's given me a lot of uh, a lot of wonderful, beautiful gifts that none of which I none of which I deserve whatsoever. And he's also given me uh, opportunities to to tell people about uh, what I myself have experienced, in order that I might point them to to the one who gives us true hope and true righteousness and true salvation. So. He's given me opportunities to write books, uh, to speak at congregations and conferences, to travel around, to, uh, and even just in where I work, uh, I daily interact with people, whether they're my fellow drivers or, or customers that I'm able to, uh, to be a, a witness to, uh, to talk about the hope that we have in, in Christ. So it's nothing that I would have envisioned for myself uh, 20 years ago. But I can, I can see how God has used what I have been through to put me in a situation now where I can bear witness to his grace in ways that I never probably would have before and in situations that I wouldn't have before as well. Well, uh, Chad, I really want to thank you for joining us here on the podcast. And I want to recommend again to our listeners uh, this book, Night Driving, Notes from a Prodigal Soul. Uh, wonderfully inspirational. It will help you to uh, take a new look at the Old Testament. Chad is an Old Testament guy, and uh, the gospel is alive and well and beautifully uh, articulated in the Old Testament, and I'm sure you'll find that there. So many rich insights in this book, Chad, and I really have to thank you for writing. If um, any of our listeners want to uh, get a hold of you or follow you on social media or uh, you know, stay in touch with uh, your creativity and ministry, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, I'm, on, I'm on all the major social media platforms, so you can find me on Facebook. Uh, they can find me on, on Twitter. Uh, if you want to look at, at, at uh, more of my articles, kind of keep up with me that way, go to my website, chadbird.com, and I post there uh, about once, about once a week. So mm-hmm. that's a uh, that's where most of my resources are gathered together. Well, awesome! Thank you, brother. Really appreciate you coming on, and uh, hope you have a great day out there uh, on, the, uh, on the road. All right, I lo- be- I love that you're still tent making. I mean, tent uh, driving. I'll, I'll be I'll be trucking along. Thanks for again. <laughs> thanks again for having me on the show. I appreciate it. All, All right. right, we will be right back here on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast here on an early Wednesday morning. Uh, it's it's always been a fantasy of mine to be a truck driver. Really? 
Well, I, there's like a bunch of fantasy jobs that I would like to have for one year. I feel uh-huh. like uh-huh. You know, less than a year, you don't get to really get it, but more and, uh, you know, you're over it. So taxi driver in New York, truck driver just driving across the country. They are the modern day cowboys. I know. Uh, yeah. What, 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 what is it that appeals you to you the most? <sighs> it, it, it's lessening over the years, but I have a very natural wanderlust. I just like to uh-huh. be in places that I've never seen. Uh, and also, I love traveling at dawn and you know pulling to gas stations right about the time the sun's coming up. There's just something that fills me with like glorious wonder. Mm. The gas station at dawn, it's the best. <laughs> Now, now that I said it out loud, my fantasy and my dreams sound, I don't know, stupid, but in my head. <laughs> well, you know, I, I'm itching for another Samson road trip. We haven't done one in years and years and years, but uh, and in fact, someday, someday, uh, I really want us to be able to do this, you know, full on with a bus, a bunch of guys uh, take turns driving the damn thing across the country and yeah from visiting meetings and wouldn't that be cool that would be amazing yeah why not yeah how hard Uh, can that be well i i was just thinking i wanted to throw in uh you know you had mentioned well you both mentioned that explicitly this idea of jesus is so sad about our sins and uh, that yeah. it wasn't taught ex- explicitly, and it just it made me really sad. And I immediately thought about growing up, learning Romans three twenty three. You know, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Mm-hmm. And when I hear anybody talk like you were about what you were given by the church, mm-hmm. that to me represents such a huge piece. For all of sin and fall short of the glory of God is a true statement, but that statement is not a complete sentence before or after. Mm. Context before is that we are all, there's no distinction. There's all equality in our need for Christ. That's the context because all have sinned. But more importantly, after the comma at the end of 23, we have for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. How did I grow up in a church that chose to leave off the second half of the first all about the free gift of grace through Jesus? Yeah. And they weren't trying to be bad and they weren't trying to be mean, but all of those little things add up to a religion of condemnation where God is just disappointed in you. Yeah. Well, I think it's this deep conviction that religious people have, and all of us have a religious streak, that uh, too much grace is dangerous. That if you let people know... <laughs> You'll just go crazy. That's right. You've got to just kind of keep... you, you got to make people afraid. you got to keep them on the hook, or they just go nuts. Well, and people were thinking that back in the day that Romans was written, right? Because Paul yeah. has to say, so what, now are you going to say, should because there's yeah. all this grace, should sin abound? By no means. That's not yeah. what I'm saying. Stop being stupid. That's a dumb thought. Yeah. How can we go back yeah. there? We're new. Yeah. But I think that's amazing that people, that fear of too much grace leading to just the floodgates opening for sinful behavior was the same thought 2,000 years ago, the same yeah. fear of grace, the same yeah. fear of God's love. Yeah. And none of that takes away from the fact that sin is sin and there are consequences and all of that. But I don't have to have God be a bad, disappointed dad to understand the sinfulness of sin. Right. Yeah. So anyways. And, and, and paradoxically, paradoxically, until I go over the edge myself and experience and admit my own sin, I can never really understand or appreciate grace. This there, And there it is. Yeah. It's yeah. it's the beautiful tension. Yeah. Well, we need some letters. Our mailbag is empty, so I'd like to send out a request that uh, someone restock that puppy so we can hear what's going on in the lives of our friends. Oh, that would be great. And they can reach us, of course, at piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, we are keeping these episodes coming. Uh, Aaron, bro- brother, you are kicking them out. You're doing all the production work after we 
record and you're getting them up, posting them. We, uh, the people have, have, uh, our friends have asked us to be more regular and we are, we are, uh, yes, we are very, very regular now. We've got more guests coming up with uh, tremendous regularity in the weeks ahead. So uh, stay tuned. We'll talk to you next time. Uh, that's a crazy thing to say. We'll talk to you next time is crazy. Is it? I don't know. We'll see you next time. Well, we're actually not going to see them. We can't see them, but that is really kind of a customary thing to say on shows like this. We'll see you next time. Uh, see, I feel like the depth of, you know, you could tell that Chad Bird is a philosophical thinker. And I think it's just put you in a gear a mode where you can't just speak a simple thing like we'll talk to you next time without <laughs> overanalyzing it. Yeah. Just, we'll talk to them next time. It will happen. And we will. Uh, so until next time, I'm Nate. <laughs> I'm Aaron. And we are your pals on the Pirate Monk Podcast. That's great. It starts with an earthquake. Birds and snakes and airplane. Lenny Bruce is not a brain. Listen to yourself, Chuck.